Great. Good morning, everybody. It's so much quieter in here. I hope you guys are going to be all right with that and just hear me talking. Uh, you can already tell I'm not from here. I am Canadian by birth and uh, met my wife at a youth CRC youth conference in Geelong in 1992. And uh, we got engaged two days later. And uh, now we are happily married for 25 years this year. So, yes, 25 years. Yes, yeah, celebrate. Come on over there. There's a guy who understands. 25, 25 years. That's a long time. Um, we, uh, we, just, we just love uh, the CRC. We love all these guys. We love that uh, David Smythe was a pastor at the Christian Family Center when, when I was there, and we just used to hang out and crack jokes all the time. And I was so glad when he got to come out here and plant this church. And uh, just, I came along once, never came back. That would probably be because David never invited me. But there's a new David. There's a new David. Um, <laughs> so um, I hope you'll appreciate that. What I'm going to share about today is something that I've been on a journey about learning and discovering. And the more I learn about, about people, uh, the more I get to love Jesus. Because Jesus understood people like no one else, right? Like Jesus, Jesus gets you, all right? You don't need to hide from him because he totally understands you. But I absolutely love him. I love everything that he says. I love everything that he did. I love that he saved me. I love that he died for me. But I I love the way that he loves me. He knows how to love me. And today we're going to look at a story that Jesus talks about. And and I'm going to maybe draw something out of it that you've never seen before. Because I'd never seen this before. But hopefully as we talk about this idea, you'll begin to see the incredible power in the idea. And then you'll see that there's probably other places in Scripture that make this idea seem more real to you. And so we're going to talk about all of those things uh, today as we go. I... Jody and I get to work and minister to, with people in the northern suburbs of Adelaide. And if anybody knows, well, I'm sure you've heard about the northern suburbs of Adelaide because they're on the news a lot. Um, it's, it's a difficult time. It's a rough place. Um, there's a lot of poverty. Where we are in Elizabeth South, it's urban poor. Um, it is the lowest socioeconomic area in South Australia. Uh, a lot of difficulties there. Uh, we've just opened up a couple of houses that we bought last year for uh, to house some homeless people and stuff. But uh, I actually feel like getting to know people kind of in their worst moments of life has actually taught me more about people than all of you, uh, all of the people who seem to have it all together. Do, do you know? Do you know what I mean? We're going to just talk a little bit of a story about uh, the the road to Jericho story. That um, and so maybe you want to turn your Bible. Is this guy working here? No. It will be soon. That's all right. So why don't you find in your Bibles Luke chapter 10, um, because we're going to just read through this story, read through the reason that Jesus told the story, and I'll go back one slide, guys. You're giving away my jokes. Okay. Luke chapter 10. So this is, you, you'll probably know the story already, so you might kind of just, you know, yada, 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 but let me read it anyway. Okay. So I got to take my glasses off to read. All right. Luke chapter 10. It says in verse 25, And behold, a lawyer stood up to, t- to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. 
do this and you will live. Now, this conversation is a difficult thing to understand. If you're new to the Bible and the people of the Bible, then what's happened is somebody who is a religious teacher or a religious expert, he is an expert in the law of Moses. He's not a lawyer like he's not going to defend you on your parking ticket where you parked your donkey. He's going he's gonna to talk and, and educate people about the Mosaic Law, the Law of Moses, because the Law of Moses was the statutes and regulations that affirmed or, uh, you know, sort of told you whether or not you were in connection with God or not. And this person is an expert in that. So he comes to Jesus, and, and Jesus throws the question back to him. You know, you know the law. Why don't you tell me what the law says? And the lawyer does a lawyer trick. He, he summarizes the law into a very concise statement. Now, he's not the only one in that day. Many people had this as a common saying, especially among the Pharisees, that this is a way of summarizing. And you know, if you've been around a church for a while, you know this. So you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, in this case, the lawyer finishes it with the second one that sometimes Jesus has to provoke in people, which is you need to love your neighbor as yourself. Does, does that make sense? Many times through the Bible, that's, especially in the New Testament, that's given as kind of a summary of the whole content of the law, which is an amazing thing. But there's a problem. The guy doesn't get it. Jesus says, go and do this and you'll live, but the guy doesn't know what he doesn't know. So Jesus has to open up his understanding. He, he has to give people, give him a picture. So he, he helps him out. So he knows this guy's about to ask the next question. So he says, verse, verse uh, 29, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, lawyers are great at justifying things. The reason I had to shoot him is because he was going to shoot me, you know, justifying, you know, the reason I shouted at her was she, she screamed at me. She made me feel bad, so I had to yell. You know, like, it's justifying all the time. So the lawyer's fantastic at justifying. He wants to say, how do I make sure I'm included in that? Seeking to justify himself. He says, well, then who's my neighbor? Uh, if you can go to the next slide, guys, because... Uh, is the clicker working now? Okay, oh, good. I know immediately you thought of this. Because as soon as he said, who's my neighbor... I know that in that moment, Jesus looked forward in time, 1,950 years, and saw Abbott and Costello do the Who's on First skit. And Jesus just had a moment right then. And the guy said, who's my neighbor? Jesus played this little thing in his head because he knows how funny Abbott and Costello are. Do you, do you guys know this skit? You know, he comes, they come and he says, uh, he's, it's a baseball thing, so it's about who's on first, who's playing first base, who's the first base catcher. Who's on first? And the guy's name is who? Right? So he, they're, they're having this argument. Who's on first? Yes. Well, if I went up to first base, who would be there? Yes. You know, like, because they just, they can't struggle. So I'm sure that when Jesus, when Jesus is the, the guy is like, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus is like, right. So if I go next door and knock on the door, who will answer it? Right. <laughs> if I ask... If I ask them for a cup of tea, who will give it to me? Well, maybe. Like, you know, I can just see. Jesus has this little moment. Oh, that's funny. And then he moves on. So he tells this fantastic story. Don't get distracted by that. Okay. He says, Jesus replied, a man was going down to, to Jerusalem, uh, going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Stop. Because you got to know that Jerusalem is on a mountain. Jericho is by the Jordan. So you're talking about a very, very downhill Okay, so when he says going down, it's not like going down. It's like just 
He had to descend mountainous regions and then get to this very low place. It was, it was, it was windy because you can't just walk straight up a mountain. It was windy, it was difficult, and there was lots of places for people to hide. So it was a great place to attack people, to get them by surprise. So this is what ends up happening. He goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came down to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds and pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. Now, I don't, I'm not a medical professional. But if anybody has been beat up, I don't know how getting him drunk and oily is going to make him any better. You pour in the oil and the wine. At least he, I thought he was having a good time. I just, I, again, Jesus is telling the story. I think it's hilarious. How do you get a drunk, oily person onto a donkey into a town? I, never mind. Okay, so then he set him on his own aunt, took care of him, and then it says, verse 35, and the next day he took out two denarii, that's two days of wages, and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy, and Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Now, every time I've ever read that story before, I have felt the urge that I need to love my neighbor better, right? I need to remove the barriers. I need to be kinder to people. I need to be genuine. Like, the question of who is my neighbor is not who lives next to me, but who's in my world that I'm taking care of. And I, and I felt, which is you felt, you felt like I need to love people more. Anyone? It just, you just kind of feel like that. But that's actually part of the problem. You're reading, you're reading that. I was reading that like the, the lawyer, seeking to justify myself. But Jesus is not answering the man so that he can justify himself by doing enough of the right thing to qualify. That's actually the opposite of what the story is about. And I didn't, I didn't understand that really until, well, years. You know, It says, the lawyer stood up, this is the first thing, and put him to saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The guy, what the guy's thinking is, what do I need to do He wants inclusion in the purposes of God, in the life of God, in the relationship with God. He wants inclusion by merit. What do I need to do? If I do enough things, then God will be my buddy. God will be my friend. God will be my neighbor. But Jesus is actually going to flip everything on on its head. He will never, ever make inclusion with God by merit. I I don't know if you know that. But he never never made inclusion with God by merit. I used to ask people, I, I used to work at Balfour's when I first came to South Australia. I'd work at Balfour's, and I'd ask people all the time there, do you think you're going to heaven? And then when everybody, almost everybody says yes, unless they had some sort of, you know, you know crazy demon-worshipping love for hell, and I'm on a highway to hell. So they, everybody... Yeah, I reckon so. And then I would always ask why, because I'm curious about this. I'm, I'm interested if anybody would answer like Jesus. So they always say, and I say, I say, why? And they say, well, because I'm, I do this and I do that, or I don't do this and I don't do that. There's always inclusion by, by merit, right? Does that make sense? 
It's kind of the way we think. We're legalistic. We're under the law. Ever since we ate that fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we can't do anything but measure good and evil. So we're stuck in a loop. Jesus needs to kind of provoke us and kick us out of the way of thinking. So Jesus wants to make it about inclusion by connection. Meritless connection. That's a big thing, isn't it? And he gives the guy a story to think about that asks the question, who? Who I am connected to? Who my fate is tied to? Who I would help? Who is part of we? Now, I just ask yourself that question. Who is, who is your version of we? Your, your parents, your children, your, na- your neighbor, maybe. You may not even know your neighbor. Your workmate, someone you grew up with. Like, who's your we? If, if there was going to be loss in your life, who would you lose for? If you you were going to have a need, who would fill that need? Who's your neighbor? Who is that? And the guy has always thought of it in terms of merit. He's always thought, who is worthy to be my neighbor? Who is the one that I would help? And who do I help? I help people like me. And and Jesus wants to say, no, that's not neighbor at all. So he says says this crazy story, a Samaritan, which is like a a sneering uh, word that you would make up for somebody that was an outsider. It's like Victorians or something, You know, like, sorry, Americans. Sorry, I'm Canadian. That's our slur, right? Okay. So he picks the guy that everyone knows is the regular bad guys, the never never do the right people people. And and he says, all right, there's this guy. We don't even know if he's Jewish or not. You probably don't know. He's gone on a trip. He gets beat up. And all of the people that you would expect to be part of his we walk past him. They are not part of his we. They don't want to be his problem. They don't want to know him because he does not have what's required to be part of their we. He's a problem. He's broken. He's bleeding. He's got trouble. It's going to be expensive. I don't know him. Do I have to? And so they walk past. And some Samaritan. And the Samaritan's version of we is whoever. Takes him. Puts him on the slippery donkey. Drives him to the inn, pays the cash for two nights, three nights, who knows, two denaries, it's two days' wages. Covers his expenses, says, I'm coming back this way another time. I'll cover if there's anything more. Please take care of this guy. He's, he's part of me. He's part of me. My expenses, my money, my time, he's part of me. But the reason that Jesus is telling that story is not, and this is what I need to learn, is not so that I would be a better be, better me and become better at we. He's actually telling that story so that I would know that the way that God makes a we with me is when he rescues me. See, so he doesn't include me because I'm worth it. I am worthless. But yet Jesus gets off of his agenda, off of his way, and comes to me and rescues me. And in that moment, he pays for the 
the burden that I am. He pays for the pain that I am. He pays for the problems that I have. He pays for everything. And he takes all of that onto his account and pays my bill. Because God wants us to know that he does never do inclusion by merit. Because the thing about religion is that you never, ever feel worthy. You never feel included. You know, the guy gave the right answer, but he didn't understand his answer. He said, well, if you want to be included, well, you just need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, that's a fantastic idea. My big problem is the word all. Anybody love God with all? Right? We struggle with some, you know, on Sunday morning between 10 and 11.30. That's all. All of our hearts are so... No, the problem with, with religion, the problem with the understanding, the inclusion by merit conditions is that you're excluded, you're not included. And the problem is you always, always feel like you don't, you're just not worth it. Can I, can I say? That message is often preached by Christianity. Inclusion by merit. If you don't do the right thing, then God will kick you out. All right. Jesus wants to think about it from this point of view. Who is God's neighbor? Who did God rescue? He rescued us. He rescues us. Now, I I just wanted to throw out an idea. Because, you know, like you come to church, what you're sort of expecting is that the guy who does the talky-talk stuff is going to tell you to be better. And I've gone, I've had that many sermons. Uh, I was raised going to church uh, as a kid. It was a fantastic legalistic Assemblies of God church that, um, sorry, I put those words fantastic and legalistic together. They were just good at it. You always felt like you were trying to obey Jesus when you were trying to obey the law, which is so foolish. But they put, you need to try harder. You need to be better. You need to work harder. You need to stop being bad. You need to give up the old. You need to grab onto the new. You need to, you need to work. You need to try. You need to sacrifice. You need to suffer. You need to let go of the bad. Let go of the sin. Stop being bad. And they would always try. And I would feel so bad and I would want to be good. The problem is I couldn't ever be good. Anyone? I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it. And so the Galatians, they, they struggled with this. Paul had to write to them, and, and kind of in the middle, he has this, has this uh, uh, epiphany idea. He says, are you so foolish? Have you, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Use that word perfected and use it in your own life. How are you being perfected? Are you being perfected because you're trying so hard to get better? At, you're just trying to not be bad. Not, not be weak, not be less, and be more. And, and here's the thing, here's the weird thing. When we as humans think about how to be better, we always turn to ourselves. We always think, oh yeah, if I, if I only had, or if those people hadn't, or if maybe the situation was different, if I just had enough energy, if I just prayed more, if I just cried harder, if I just studied the Bible longer, if I just talked to the person who would tell me the answer, if, if there was somebody that could give me the how, I would do it, and then I would do it, and maybe if I didn't do it, if I tried harder. Anybody, anybody ever think, if I had tried harder, I would have done better? Yeah. We get very focused on ourselves. But Paul's point is not, oh, you should try harder. You need to read the book of Galatians. His point is, no, no, the Holy Spirit's doing the work here, guys. Holy Spirit's doing the work. 
Is it by the spirit or by the flesh? He keeps asking that question. He's like, who, who, who gave you the new life? Well, the Holy Spirit did that. Who did the miracles? The Holy Spirit did that. But here's the thing. Who did the changes on the inside? The Holy Spirit does that. Now, the reason that I'm kind of saying this, and, and, and you might already are going over this with your brain already. But have you ever heard this saying, bad company corrupts good morals? Bad company is actually a band called Bad Company now. And I know that they're trying to say is, we're awesomely bad. We're on that highway to hell. It's fantastic. But this, this idea, bad company corrupts good morals, is a, is, is a very powerful phrase. Now, now if, 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 you need to, if you've got young people, you've got children, you want them to stay away from bad influences, don't you? If you've, got, if you've got children going through teenage years, you're just like, please let me lock them in a dark room and keep them from those bad influences because I don't know if they can handle that. And if you are a young person and you're like, man, I'm hanging out with these people and they are a bad influence, then this scripture is advising you don't hang out with people who are going to wreck your life. It's, cr- it's crazy, but it's a powerful thing, isn't it? Bad Bad company corrupts good morals. We already know that. If you hang around the wrong kind of influences, you're actually going to become like those influences. And I'm saying that truthfully. However, have you ever asked why? Why does the company that we have change our belief systems? Weirdly, in the, where this passage is in the book of 1 Corinthians, is actually not talking about a bunch of sinners like you know, because First Corinthians says plenty of stuff about sexual immorality. It has plenty of stuff about uh, you know worshiping idols. It has plenty of stuff about um, you know uh, being greedy and, and hoarding. It has plenty of stuff about homosexuality. It has plenty of stuff about you know uh, being of the flesh. He's, he's got plenty of stuff about that. But this part does not come there. This part, this verse that people quote, is actually about: Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? That's where it is. Don't hang out with people who deny that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. That's what he's saying. But the idea, this is the powerful idea. And I want you to know this. The company that you are included in is shaping your we. But I want to give you a very powerful idea. There is a greater we. There is a great, there is a greater company. You see, the associations that we have affect our value systems. And the closer you consider yourself part of those people, the more you're going to become like them. Like, weirdly, um, about, I don't know, 2004, whatever that is, 13 years ago, I went with my uh, family, my wife and my two kids. uh, Yeah, by the way. I got children. I should have told you that at the beginning. Uh, Charlotte is now 22, right? 22, married, uh, awesome girl. Uh, is an OT, occupational therapist. Uh, Lily is 18 now. Just moved to Melbourne, so we're very sad. But uh, she's awesome too. She's pursuing a modeling career. Um, I don't know how you do that, but she's she's in photos. So <laughs> that's how you do it. Anyway, she's awesome. So. We, we go back, Ken, I just got my little kids, and I go back, and I have this weird, weird experience. I don't, you maybe never experienced this, but I got on, I got on a plane in, a, in Adelaide, flew to Sydney, flew from Sydney to L.A., and then on a L.A., I got on another plane that went to Canada. Now, here's the thing. 
the plane was full of Canadians, right? The last journeys were full of Australians and Americans. Don't, don't bother about the Americans. So I get on this plane. This weird thing happens to me. I get on this plane, and I'm sitting in, this, in, the, in my chair, and I hear the Canadian parents talking to their children, and I had this awful feeling. I'm not Canadian. I don't know if you've ever experienced moved from another country and lived in another culture. But in that moment, that was a shock to me. I'd always thought I was Canadian. And suddenly I'm sitting there surrounded by these aliens, these weirdos who talk to their children in the wrong tone of voice. Canadians with children, they kind of do this high-pitched, kind of treat them like a baby thing. Oh, are you okay? Do you want to have, sit there and have a little drinky, drinky? And I, I was just like, Stop talking like baby talk. These are people, little humans. Because Australians don't. They just go, hey, a rat bag. What are you doing there, mighty? Yeah, yeah. Get it right then. Yeah, you know, like, sorry. I, I can't do the accent. So, like, weirdly, I had taken on the value systems, the way of thinking, and the life of the people that I associated with. And now, here's the problem. Now I'm Aussie. I just sound Canadian. So, fooling you. But here's the idea. Jesus knows the power of transformation by association. And he wants to, several times in the book of Luke, he makes this illustration through, through events in his life to make a point about the power of association. In this story, you know the story if you went to children's church. It's the story of Zacchaeus. He's a wee little man. It's because he was short. He needed to climb up into a tree to see Jesus. And then everybody gets the wrong message from the story from that point on. Because they think, be like Zacchaeus. He wanted to see Jesus. You need to make an effort to see Jesus. That's not what the story's about. Jesus needed to get Zacchaeus up a tree so he could make an illustration out of him. So Jesus rocks in. Remember we went from Jericho to... We went from Jerusalem to Jericho in the other story. Now Jesus is on his way back, and he's talking about the journey from Jericho up to Jerusalem where he'll die for our sins, and he needs one last person to make an illustration out of. And so he goes, it says, he entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and rich, which meant that he was really good at ripping people off. Now, he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up the sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. (laughs) I love this. Jesus goes, he's on a journey to the cross to die for sinful humanity, and nobody knows that's them. Right? So he needs points. He needs illustrations. So he come, he's walking into town, and he's kind of looking around. And he's like, nah, no, no, no. So he's, he's going around corners, and everybody's cheering, Jesus, you're awesome, give me a J. And he's like, no, no, no. And then he finds somebody, and he goes, you'll do. You'll do. Because everyone in town thinks that man is the most bad. The most bad. And Jesus goes, you're perfect. 
And so what does Jesus do to transform the bad man in the community? He says, we are going to become best friends. And everybody goes, what? You can't include him? You can't include him in your design. You can't. He's bad. And Jesus goes, yeah. But he's not worthy. Yeah. You, you're supposed to make an example of how bad he is. Yeah. You're getting it. Here's what I do. I make friends with bad people. Now, what happens in the story, I think, is the whole reason Jesus does that. When they saw it, they're all grumbled. Oh, he's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood it and said to him, Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Jesus said to him today, salvation has just come to this house. Since he also is the son of Abraham, the son of man came to seek and save that which is lost. Did you see, did you just see how fast that man changed? The greediest man, the most bad man in town. As soon as Jesus said, that's my friend, and Zacchaeus said, if that guy is with me, then I'm with him. And if you're going to mock Jesus, I'm going to defend him. And to defend Jesus, he surrenders almost everything he's stolen in his life. Why? Because Jesus has become part of his we. And you do that for those who are part of your company. In a moment, the man saw himself differently. And as soon as he saw himself as part of Jesus, he changed. Because your company changes your morals. Your company changes your morals. So this is why in 2 Corinthians it says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed, meaning all of the legalistic things. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 1 to 15 is about how a veil, the law of Moses covers people's hearts and they can't see Christ. This is when, the, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Remember I said, it's the Spirit who transforms us? See, it's by being in the presence of Christ... Loving him, being loved by him, worshiping him, and understanding his love for you, that we become like him. Becoming like him is not following a set of rules. It's not sticking to a set of statutes. It's not following a program. It's not measuring you and everyone else by you about whether or not you stuck to this or stuck to that. It just means that you were with him, and because you loved him and he loved you, you became like him. And if we spend more time with Jesus... And less time worried about all of the terrible sins that we think exclude us. If we would just be with him, then we would become like him. It would just happen. And someday someone would say, well, how did you change? And you'll say, I don't know. I just wanted to be like him. And so I am. I am. 
The truth is that God transformed, God's spirit transformed by being included in you. We are transformed by being included in him. And so my one message for today is this, beware exclusion. Because you will change nobody by excluding them. Or saying you cannot be part of we until you meet these standards. Now, I'm going to show you a picture. This is my daughter, Charlotte. And that's the uh, um, slimy, greasy teenager that stole her away from me. (laughs) With great affection. His name is Luke, and they started dating when uh, Charlotte... Well, he tried to date her, sneaky guy, when he was 15. She was 15. No way. So, we... We held him off as long as we could, and then when eventually we decided that they, if they did the right thing, we would let them date when they're 16. And I'll tell you what, see, Johnny and my wife then had to make a choice about how we're going to handle this, right? This, this young, immature idiot is going to be the one-day husband of my wife, father of my grandchildren. He's, he's not, oh, sorry, not of my wife, not of my, of my daughter. So I'm thinking, what do I do, right? So I pick, I pick this role. I pick the, I'm tough. I tell stories about how I kill boyfriends. <laughs> Knock you out, pal. I told him, I don't carry a gun. I carry a shovel. Because <laughs> they're the shovel. You can kill somebody and bury them. Hide the evidence. I'm not dumb. I'll get you. I'll go, mm, mm, mm. If you want to date my daughter, and the rules started coming, you better this, and you better that, and you better, and you better, and you better. You know, I'm holding them off like that. I'm not going to love you. I'm not going to love you. I might beat you, but I'm not going to love you. But Jody decided she was going to try that. It lasted 24 seconds. And then she just started to adopt him into our family. And then pretty soon he's like, at meals... I'm like, who is this boy? This is not helping him learn that he will never get his my approval in his lifetime. This is not helping him reach the high standards of perfection that I demand. And she just welcomed him in. And pretty soon it's like, you know, he would do things that were wrong. And then, like, wrong by our family standards. Like, not talking at the table or not taking cleaning his plate or not using the right pol- polite, you know, thank yous and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, see, he's not getting it right. won't be long. We'll all get, get annoyed by him and kick him out. That'll be fantastic. It's perfect. Now, because Jody had included him, it just became like, Luke, you need to start using your proper thank yous. So when you come over, you're gonna... she starts training the guy to be one of our kids. She's giving him instructions on how to load the dishwasher and how to do that and how to dress. Then she's taking him in the, in the, she's a hairdresser early in her life, so she's giving him haircuts and teaching him about skin care. You know, it's just the crazy, the crazy thing is that if I'd held him out, he would never become like us. But because Jody brought him in, he became like one of our own children. And now... I totally trust him because he's like me. (laughs) Okay. What do I do with my baggage? Oh, come on. You know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. 
The reason that you don't feel close to Jesus is always something to do with whether or not you did the right thing. The reason that you feel like I can't pray is because I didn't do the right thing. The reason that you don't feel the, the closeness of, of him or his approval or his affection is always because you feel like you've let him down in some way. Am I not right? And then don't we try to get right before we go to talk to him? Don't, don't, we, don't we always think I've got to get myself right before I can be close to him? Do you know that that's not what the Bible teaches at all? He says, if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we want to fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, can I, can I say something really, really bold? If you... If you don't bring Jesus your worst, you will never know you're his. If you don't bring Jesus the worst things that you've done, the worst things you've thought, the worst things that you've ever lived through, been through, experienced, done yourself or had done to you, if you don't bring the worst, then you'll always feel like, if Jesus ever knew that, then he would reject me. And Jesus says, no, no, no. The way that you get to know the power of being part of me is when you bring me everything, all of the sin, all of the rubbish, all of the stains, all of the blemishes, just come into the light. Of course, your sins will be revealed in the light, but that's not a problem. Because in his light, it's not a light of analyze to reject. It's a, it's a light of where do you need my love? Where do you need my healing? Where do you need my hope? Where do you need my power to work in you? Come into the light, because the blood of Jesus will cover all of your sins. And if you confess your sins, well, he's faithful, and he's just, and he'll forgive your sins. Can I, can I, can I just say this? I'd like you to become more like Jesus, because I love him. And you love him, too. The way that you become like him is by being with him. And if you listen to the devil's voice or your own conscience and say, but I don't qualify, I don't deserve to be there, the farther you stay from him, the less you'll become like him. And you will start feeling like you're not part of his we. And you're part of a different association of outcasts and outsiders. And when you think you're part of them, you'll start to act like them. But if you see yourself like Zacchaeus saw himself, I'm just Jesus' friend, it'll transform your heart and make you different. It's a very, very powerful thing. Something that we've learned to do in, in our church at Elizabeth South. Um, we... We get some odd people come in, people that society has excluded. And they come in, one guy, remember, when we first start our breakfast program, we, we feed guys in the morning, we feed them uh, just community people, get to have come to church and have breakfast together with, uh, it's called breakfast together, and they just eat breakfast with church people, and, and they get have free breakfast, make donations, help get involved. And one of my very big things is that if we don't make people feel like they're part of us, they'll walk away. So... We, we try to connect them. And so there's one guy, he's in the community. He's one of the local drug dealers. His name's Antonius. And Antonius comes in with his 15 jackets on because he's probably slept in a ditch. And he's, he's, uh, he's just rough as. He comes in for breakfast. Hey, Antonius, how are you, man? Yeah, mate, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. And he's, he's just, he's hilarious. He tries so hard to be good. And I'm like, you're not. <laughs> when he's in a is he's such a faker. 
And I'm like, Antonius, you know, can you help us? So we give him jobs to do. You know, he set up chairs. He become part of we. He became part of us. Because we've, we've found that if you don't reject people, and if you just love them, suddenly they just feel like they would never want to leave you. And then they want to be like you. And they sort of take on your identity. And then pretty soon they say, they're hope central people. They say that. They are that. It's how I think Jesus transforms. And I think it's how we transform the world. So the question is, who is God's neighbor? The answer, you are. You are God's neighbor. He rescues you. And the second question is, who is your neighbor? So if you want to transform this community, if you want to transform your son-in-law, if you want to transform the person that's annoying you, the person with the problem, you will never change them by excluding them. But if you include them in your life, they will become part of you and change you. And don't worry, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So you don't need to worry about their bad character. You can bring them yours, the character of Jesus. So why don't we pray together? Father, I'm so grateful for Jesus. So grateful that he comes and he teaches us, he shows us the way, and yet he also carries the entire burden of making us okay with you. He, he removed the standards of the law, all of those things that might exclude us, he pays for so that your righteousness is answered, but so that we can enter without righteousness of our own. And Father, I pray that today people would begin to understand how much you love them and how you have already gotten off your donkey and come to their rescue and paid for their sins. I pray that you would help them to see that what you really want to do is heal them and help them and not reject them. I just wonder if you're here right now and you've never made that that connection, that deep heart connection to, to God through Jesus. Maybe you want to do that right now. Maybe you've been pretending. You come to church, you sing the songs, you try to act like everyone else, but in your heart you feel like distant from God. And it's because you feel so bad about yourself. Maybe you just want to make that, just take the risk right now and make that connection. Why don't you pray with me and say, Father, I want, to, I want to be your friend. I want to be part of you. And so to become part of you, I, I accept the work of Jesus. He paid for my sins by dying on the cross. And I take that as my own. I make it part of me. And I confess in the faith of my heart and believing that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead so I could have new life. So Father, take me, adopt me, make me part of your own. Thank you for making this happen. And maybe other people here today, you felt somewhat excluded. Like God's sort of got an angry face. He's, he's upset with you, not happy with you. Maybe you've learned to live that way because so many other people have put pressures of conformity of, on you. That if you don't do this and if you're not going to do that, well, then you're not going to be accepted. And, and you've learned to accept that idea. And now you think it's God's idea. Right now in this moment, you're realizing that it's not. 
And that God's okay with all of your problems. He's okay with all of your inadequacies and the, and the difficulties and the, the problems. He's, he's okay with your badness. And you just want to say, okay, Jesus, I'm just going to come into the light. Come into your light. And know that near you is good things. But I accept those good things for me. And I take your blood on my, on my sins. I believe that your blood is covering everything that would make me feel guilty. Everything that makes me feel rejected. I receive your blood as a covering for that. And Father, for all of us, we pray that you would help us to live like Jesus. And to use this power of inclusion in, the, in a good way. And that we would begin to look to those that are unlike us. That need you. And that we would begin to embrace them as neighbors. That we would draw them into our lives. Despite their differences. And that we would make them part of we. And Lord, I pray that you would give this church of people courage to be like that. To always be merciful. Always compassionate. Always more interested in the person than what they've done wrong. And I pray, Father, that you would just create a great spirit of understanding and community here. And Lord, I pray that there would be an anointing, a blessing of love, of compassion, and that there would be real life in this place, Lord, for all who need it and seek it. Lord, we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing a song of worship. Maybe you want to stand to your feet. And in a moment, we're going to ask you if you, anybody has any prayer needs for any reason, whether it's something I spoke of or something that you felt, okay, this is something that wasn't addressed, but I just really need it. Why don't we stand to our feet? Let's, let's look to the Lord in worship right now as Sam leads us. Let's express our love for the one who did so much to include us in his family. Thank you, Lord.